as humans, as all of humanity, we are desperate all the time for good news. You may get to the end of a long day, the end of a long week, maybe you're at the end of a long year and somebody's like, hey, I gotta tell you about something. You're like, please let it be good news. I could really use some good news. We live in a world that's filled with bad news, broken people in a broken world, and when you turn on the news to watch, they should have a disclaimer at the beginning that's like, hey, you ready to have your day ruined? Because the 6 p.m. news starts right now. Right, the way that they structure a broadcast of news, actually, they do it in blocks. And the, the D block, which is the last part of the show, that's where they will put the one piece of good news. That heartwarming story about a dog who saved a cat or something like that, like that's, that's where they put that last story in the newscast. That's how we prioritize news. They know, like, well, if anyone's still watching, we'll give them something nice on the way out, but people really come here to find out all the horrible things happening in the world. That's how we are as human beings. And it's the reality of a world we live in that's broken with broken people, that there is a whole lot of bad news that we're aware of, inundated with, all around us. When the pandemic began, you know, there was unrest, there was a whole lot of fear and anxiety and depression and people fighting on social media, all kinds of things going on, so much unknown. A couple weeks into the pandemic, John Krasinski, or Jim Halpert, as many of us know him, if you don't know who that is, I will probably never really relate to you, but John Krasinski... He started something called Some Good News. And he realized we're in a time when humanity needs some good news. And so from his house, he broadcasted eight episodes of just heartwarming stories of good things happening, trying to bring some good news in a world that was very dark. In the last episode, with tears in his eyes, he signed off. He said, I'm John Krasinski, no longer needing to remind you that no matter how hard things get, there is always good in the world. And I love John, and I love what he did there, and I completely disagree with what he said because we still need John to be reminding us of good news. We need to have good news at the forefront all the time because it's so easy to get so focused on all the bad news. A guy named Doug Larson said, bad news travels fast. Good news takes the scenic route. And Tracy Morgan, he said a similar thing, something like, bad news travels at the speed of light and good news travels like molasses. It's just how we're geared, it's how humanity is, but as followers of Jesus, we should be different. We should live different. We should be good news gets in the A block, people. It should be at the forefront of our lives and how we structure, how we think and how we live and what we talk about, that good news. We have good news to share and it should be at the forefront, not the last little thing that we save. Good news. And the Christmas story tells us this good news and it shows us exactly what you do with it. So if you're new to Christmas, maybe not the holiday, but the Christmas story, I'll catch you up. There's this people group that started with this guy, Abraham, that turns into a family, that turns into a nation, and it's promised through this family that a blessing is gonna come to the world, the entire world. And the prophets speak for centuries through these people, the Israelites, that, that there's this king, unlike any other king, this Messiah, the anointed one who's gonna come here. He's gonna change things. It's been waited and waited upon, and then there's some centuries where there's silence, where it's like God's not even talking. There's no prophets speaking. And out of the silence and the darkness, this angel appears to this teenager nobody named Mary. And he tells her, you're going to be the mom of the Messiah. And she's shocked. She's a virgin. She's like, how could this happen? This isn't possible. And the angel tells her the miraculous is happening. You're going to be the Messiah's mom. And she says, let it be so. And naturally, her fiance, who has never known her biblically, is a little bit skeptical when she's like, I'm pregnant, but it's from God. It's a miracle. And so an angel appears to Joseph, and he's like, hey, Joseph, this is real. This is legit. And you're not the stepdad, Joseph. You're the dad who stepped up. It's time, buddy. <laughs> Let's go. 
Well, right as this is happening and she's pregnant, the pregnancy's going along, there's a census being taken. And so they have to, everyone has to return to their town where their families come from, where they come from. And for them, that's Bethlehem. Interestingly, not coincidentally, 700 years before this, the prophet Micah foretold that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, the town of David. They get there. Mary goes into labor. There's nowhere for them to have this baby. There's no hospital. They don't have a room to go to, so they end up in a stable out back. Animals and straw. Smells bad. It's not where you picture having a baby, especially if your baby is the king of kings. And they put him into a manger, which is a feeding trough for the animals. That's where God is laying in this moment. We picture this as like this cozy family moment, right? The nativity scene. It's like gruesome. Not at all what you'd picture. And then in Luke chapter 2, there's just a really abrupt scene change. We're with the family, and then it's like the camera cuts, and then we're out in the fields of Bethlehem. Verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified naturally. An angel just popped out, right? These guys are like, do you guys have an extra pair of pants? Like, what's going on? There's an angel that just popped out here. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That's the verse that we're focused on this month. I, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. And I want to talk about that good news this week. For a lot of us, we're like, yeah, it's Christmas. It's good news because Jesus was born. And a lot of us are like, I'm not really sure why that's good news, though. Like, why is this good news? I had that question. I remember being a freshman in college. I didn't go to church. I grew up going to church. And by the time I was a freshman in college, I didn't have a relationship with God. I wasn't pursuing God. It just wasn't my thing. And Christmas time was approaching, and so a friend of mine, she said, I really feel like I should go to church for a Christmas service. Do you want to come with me? And I thought, that's probably a good thing to do. And I remember sitting in that Christmas service and feeling like this whole story was so far from me. Like it was for all the people in there that got it, the good people, the Christian people, the ones who like seemed to get something that I didn't get. And my perception of Christianity was kind of like, I mean, is it good news? Because doesn't this just mean that I have to go to church all the time if I'm into this and that I just can't have fun anymore? Like, why, why is that good news for me? Why is this baby being born 2,000 years ago? Why is this good news? I think a lot of us have that question. Maybe a lot of us think that's a very elementary question. I know the good news. I know the story of Jesus. But it's often those of us that have been church the longest that have lost sight of why this news is so good. It grows stale in our lives. I remember feeling so far from this story, and I imagine there's some of you that feel that way in here right now. Like, this is for them. It's not for me. I don't see why this would be good news in my life. And so I want to answer two simple questions today. Why is this good news, and what do you do with this news? To illuminate to some of you why this is good news, to some of you to refresh you on why this is good news, and what do you do with this? So let's start with, why is this good news? The shepherds are the perfect lenses to see this through, the perfect people for us to witness this story through. So let's get back to their story. Verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So I bring you good news. That begs the question, what's the news? What's he going to tell them? Verse 11. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, normal, and lying in a manger, not normal. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the most important piece of news that's ever been relayed to a human. 
the most important news. The angel comes and says, he's here. He's here. Who? Who is he? Well, he's very clear about who he is. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. Notice the angel doesn't come to these guys and go, hey, good news. A good teacher was just born in Bethlehem. He doesn't say, hey, I've got good news. There's this cool, like, hippie homeboy who's going to tell everybody to love each other that's just been born. It's good news. No, he's very clear about who this baby is. He's the Savior. He is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one foretold and promised. He's the Lord. That's their word for God. This isn't just some guy, some teacher. This is the Lord in flesh. He's here right now. And it's like heaven can't help but just spill the party onto the earth. They're just going crazy in heaven. These guys witnessed it. The angel's like, don't be afraid. I know some of these angels, they're just partying really hard right now. They're, they're celebrating. Heaven can't contain the party. It reminds me of in college, Doug and Ryan and I threw some parties at our college house, different kind of parties than we throw now here on Sundays and Saturdays. The biggest party we ever threw, we have always called the Kansas party because we went to the University of Colorado and our buffs were playing a football game against the Kansas Jayhawks. Nope. And uh, <laughs> absolutely not. This, this is uh, Colorado Buffs Church. Just want to make that clear. So the, uh, we, had, we grew up with a bunch of people who went to the University of Kansas. So they were all coming into town, into Boulder. We all went to the game. The Buffs upset the Jayhawks that day. We rushed the field because, man, you rushed the field anytime the Buffs won in that time. And uh, we're like, we're throwing a party tonight. So we invited all our friends from Boulder, from Kansas, everybody to our house. And our house couldn't contain the party. There were so many people. There were people upstairs. There were people downstairs. There were people in the backyard, people in the back alley, people in the driveway, on the front yard, on the sidewalk, out in the street. Our house could not contain the party until the police decided to contain it. But that's how I picture this moment. It's like heaven's going crazy. It's the biggest party, and they're just going nuts, and it spills out. It can't be contained because this is the most important news you could ever tell somebody, told to some of the most insignificant people you could tell. The shepherds. If anybody here, if you're in PR and you read the story, you're like scratching your head like, God, are you, like, you're supposed to be really good at everything. You're really bad at PR. Why would you tell these guys? Like, go tell the influencers in Jerusalem that have all the followers, right? The high priest, the Sanhedrin, maybe some Roman officials that, like, have power. Shepherds, we don't even know their names, which is kind of the point. We don't know much about these guys. When you read about what shepherds were like in this time and you read some history, at best, these were just ordinary people. At worst, they were the most looked down upon people in their culture. Why would you tell them? This is how Philip Yancey describes the shepherds. The shepherds were illiterate hirelings who watched the flocks of others, nobodies who failed to leave their names. Shepherds had such a randy reputation. I love that, randy. We should bring that back. It's a great word. Had a randy reputation that proper Jews lumped them together with the godless, restricting them to the outer courts of the temple. Fittingly, it was they whom God selected to help celebrate the birth of one who would be known as the friend of sinners. That verse, when it, we change scenes to the shepherds, it doesn't say they were working out in the fields. It says they were living in the fields. They were homeless. They were living with the sheep. They weren't educated. A lot of shepherds in this time were thieves who were given their last chance by being a shepherd. Like, you can't be around people. You can't be trusted. They weren't allowed to testify in court, but you can go be with the sheep. You can do that. Anybody can do that job. Relegated to the fields. They were social outcasts. They were religious outcasts. The religious elite 
kept them in the outer courts of the temple. You're outside people. You don't belong here. That's who these guys are. I have to picture that when they showed up as the first guests to meet Jesus, Mary was like, what? Like, God, I know that we're kind of doing this co-parenting thing. Um, do you want to run it by me before you just invite some shepherds to come meet my son? And I haven't had a chance to tell my girlfriends yet, and they're going to be so mad at me that somebody else, like shepherds, found out before they did. If they find out through somebody else's social media, I mean, I'm going to hear it from them, Right? It's important how you relay important news and you're strategic about the people you relay it to. And you find that out when you're having a baby or when you're going to get married, right? You make your wedding list and you like to think we love all our friends and family equally and then you realize, no, we don't. We just, we just made power rankings of the people in our lives. Oh man, I know we've known each other for a while, but Doug, you're a C-list friend. I'm sorry, like if they can't come in from out of town, I'll call you the week of and you can come. You just sit at their place on the table, right? You rank your friends. That's what you do when you're getting married. When you're going to have a baby, you're very strategic about who you tell and how it all rolls out. You gotta tell your parents. You tell important people, right? Your parents, your siblings, the closest friends, the closest family. Then it kind of rolls to everybody else and then you put it on social media, anybody can know. And it's a cardinal sin if you find out important information about your friend through social media, right? Mary's like, if these shepherds start telling other people and my friends and family find out, like they haven't met him yet, it's really telling if you don't have social media how close you are with people. You like run into somebody you haven't seen in a while. And it's like, hey, it's so good to see you guys. Oh my gosh, I didn't know you were having a baby. This is a big baby. Wow, okay, he's five. All right, well, I haven't seen you guys in a while. <laughs> Guess I'm not an A-list person in your life. Congratulations on your kindergarten baby. Like, it's important how you lay out news and who you relay it to. In my family, if there's important news, you tell my dad and my grandpa when you are comfortable with other people knowing. They can't contain news, especially good news, which I guess according to the story makes them godly because that's how I picture God in this moment. He's this beaming, proud father, and he's like, everybody's got to meet my son. Yeah, you know what? Tell those shepherds. Who cares? Tell everybody. It's my son. He's here. Look at this guy. Shepherds show up. Mary and Joseph may be a little confused by this. The religious elite would be angry with God. You told them before you told us? Do you know who they are? Do you know what they've done? You know their backstory? You know they're shepherds, right? We're the ones who have it all together. We're the ones doing the work for you. We have it all figured out. Why would you tell them before you told us? From the very beginning, Jesus is making very clear who he's come for. Smart baby. Jesus, when he grows up, he shows up to a synagogue. His ministry is getting going, and he reads from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 61, you read it in Luke chapter four, when he goes and he reads this and he tells everybody, this is about me. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So if you feel broken, alone, rejected, like you're the lowest on the totem pole, you're the last person people think of, then I've got some good news for you. Verse 11, here's what the angel says to the shepherds. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He doesn't say he's been born to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, to the elite, to the rich, to the powerful. He says he's been born to you. And the shepherds like me, like many of us go, me? Me? Really? 
He's been born to me? That's what they hear. These random shepherds were not random to God at all. Those are his sons, his kids. It's who Jesus has come for. And I think one of the reasons that the shepherds of all people are the ones who get the birth announcement is because they're aware of their brokenness. And when you're aware of your brokenness, then you can recognize your need for a savior. The elite, those who have it all together and puff their chest out and think, I've got this all figured out, they don't think they need a savior. They might not actually hear what's happening. The shepherds, they were well aware of their brokenness so they could receive the need for a savior. These are outer court people. They, like me in that church service, they're sitting there thinking, this whole God thing's for them, not for us. And an angel pops out and says, no, it's for you. You're exactly who God's looking for. And he says, the Savior is here, which implies that you've got to be saved from something, right? That you need salvation. Tim Keller famously said, in our culture, the salvation narrative now is what people believe is that what we need to be saved from is the idea that we need to be saved at all. It insults our flesh and our pride when we're told, actually, here's what Christmas kind of tells you, you're not good enough. You can't do this on your own. You can't earn your way to God. Not gonna happen, impossible. And that's kind of offensive to us. And in a culture of hedonism and it's all about me and I'm God, we don't like that. I don't need to be saved from anything. But when you're aware of your brokenness, you finally recognize your need for a savior. When you're in that humble place, like these shepherds were. It implies a savior that we need to be saved from something. What do we need to be saved from? A lot of us culturally, we kind of attach like, yeah, Jesus is this homeboy, like he's gonna save me from my purposelessness or from my singleness or from my relationship struggles. And he cares about all those things, absolutely. But first and foremost, it is made very clear that he has come to save humanity from our sin, from the ways that we have gone against God, the sin in our lives that has separated us from him. But that's the good news of this story, that he has come for the low and the broken, for the sinful, for all of us because we couldn't do it on our own. We need a savior. And he's not looking for perfect, clearly. Just willing, just willing to admit our need for him, to open up to it. As the church, here's our roots. This is the kind of people we are. First Corinthians, Paul writes to the early church. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. Okay, thanks, Paul. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. Here's who Jesus is. He's our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You resonate with that? I do. I'm a pastor and I always feel like an outsider as a Christian. I've always felt that way. But the beauty of the Christmas story is, man, if you feel like an outsider, a have not, and are not, while everybody is, then you are exactly who God's looking for. And you see it through the shepherds. Paul tells us in Romans that all have fallen short of the glory of God. When you look up that Greek word for all, it translates to all. That's what that means. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. That's the reality. 
And when we're in a place of humility and understanding of that, then we can hear the good news in that verse that says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's why I love the simplicity of Christmas, what it reminds us of, of this story, that ultimately this isn't a story about us, this is a story about him and his pursuit of us. Reliant K sings in a Christmas song, I celebrate the day that you were born to die so I could one day pray for you to save my life. And that news changed my life when I finally got to the bottom, when I realized my brokenness, that living a life of religion, of trying to earn my way to God, I couldn't do that. I'm like the shepherds where it's like, I think this is my only option. I can't save myself, but I know I need a savior because I know I'm broken. So why is this good news? Why is Christmas good news? Because you need a savior and you've got one. You need a savior and you got one. Your God who came for you in Christ. So what do you do with this? You hear this news, what do you do with the news then? The shepherds weren't like trying to lay out a sermon for us of here's the steps, here's what you do, but they actually organically do. Five things that you do with this good news. The first thing is you gotta hear the good news. You gotta hear it. That's why we do church every, that's why we come together as a church family and we worship and we preach the gospel. So people can hear the good news of our Savior, our Lord. And I think about the shepherds. God seems to love shepherds. King David was a shepherd out in the fields. That's where he built this intimate relationship with God. He gives the birth announcement to these shepherds. And maybe one of the things about shepherds is that their lives are fairly simple. They're in a place where they can hear. It's like God on the Christmas night, he's looking around. It's like everybody's so caught up in their own thing, building their kingdoms, busy and distracted. But these guys are sitting out in a field ship, sipping on some moonshine. So let's just tell them, because they'll be able to hear you. They don't have a lot going on. They're open to what you might say to them. So they hear the news. They hear the news that the Savior has come, but they don't just hear it. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hear it, and then they believe it. They believe what the angel said. And you might be like, well, yeah, if an angel popped out to me, I believe it too. Like these guys had it easy and I'll give you that. But I also know that God has done a lot of things in my life. I've seen a lot of things he's done and I have the word of God in my hand every day and I still question him all the time. I still question this news all the time. These shepherds hear and they believe it. They go, okay. And scripture says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Not if you hear it, but if you believe in your heart. And in this moment, their faith sparks. They believe that this good news is actually true for them because they respond, right? They respond how a typical guy would, a typical shepherd. They're like, well, let's go see this thing. Like, well, it's a baby. Let's start there. This is a baby that you're going to see. It's not called a thing. But actually, the reality is what they're saying is reality. That Greek word rhema, when they say thing, that means reality. What the shepherds are saying, let's go see this reality. Let's go see the new reality that this angel just relate to us that, that we're not outer courts people maybe but that God came for us, that the Savior's been born to us. He's here for us. Let's go see this thing. So they hear, then they believe, but they don't just stand there like, that's very good information. Thank you so much for telling me about this child who's been born, and I'm gonna just go sit back down. Then they pursue Jesus. They hear, they believe, then they pursue. They move. It's interesting when you read this story, the angel doesn't command them to go to Bethlehem. The only command is do not be afraid which I think is telling in a way because so many people like these shepherds live in this unhealthy fear when it comes to God. 
an angel pops out and they're like, oh, he's probably gonna destroy us. Like, we know. We don't belong. And he's telling them, don't be led by your unhealthy fear. Do not be afraid. Be led by this new reality that's here for you. And they are, so they go. It's almost implied, like the angel's just kind of like, so here's the sign. Obviously, I'm telling you that the Savior's just been born. You're gonna go meet him. How could you not? So you're gonna go. Here's the sign. You're gonna find a baby. He's gonna be wrapped in cloths, which was customary at the time. He's gonna be lying in a manger. That's gonna set him apart because most people don't put their newborn in a feeding trough for an animal. So you picture these guys, they're like, well, let's go. Let's go see this thing. Let's go to Bethlehem. You guys ever held a baby before? No, not comfortable to hold a baby, not gonna hold a baby. Do, should we bring him something? We have moonshine, we have no money. Gifts are for rich people, they'll come later. So they get to Bethlehem, it says, verse 16, so they hurried off. They've got a pace to this. They're like, if the Savior's here, we're going to get him, let's go. They hurry off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Their faith is in action. They get to Bethlehem, they're knocking on people's doors. They're like, hey, sounds like you have a baby in there. Could we meet your baby? Absolutely not. Why are you at my house? I don't know. You go away. You're creepy. But then they end up by a stable, and they hear the cries of a newborn, and they're, they're like, it smells bad. Animals around. This has got to be him, the manger. And they meet Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And what you see here in their pursuit, and it's an important human lesson for all of us, is that you pursue what you prioritize. They didn't have much, but they had a little. Their livelihood were those sheep in those fields, and they left it. These guys didn't get vacation days, right? They left the little that they had, and that pursuing Jesus will cost you. There's some things that have to stay behind, some things that you gotta be willing to put down to go pursue him. We like to think all the time, I like to think, I prioritize Jesus over everything, but does my pursuit match that? For a lot of us, I think we pursue money and career and work, relationships, finding a spouse, way more than we actually pursue Jesus. But call him the priority in our lives. And so maybe Christmas is a time where we need to just re-up on our priorities and what the pursuit of our life actually is. You pursue what you prioritize. And all of those other things, God cares about those things. But it has to start with going first to him, for him. For some of you, you keep showing up to church and you're like, I don't know why I keep doing this. I don't really like church. I don't really like Christians. Why am I in here? Why do I keep coming back? I would just encourage you to keep coming because there's something about this news that is stirring in you. You're pursuing something. You're trying to prioritize, why the heck am I alive? Who is God and who am I in light of that? Keep coming back. Keep pursuing. Keep prioritizing this, this God who knows you. And it might just spark into belief and faith in you coming to know him. So they hear, they believe, they pursue, and then they share. They don't just receive the news. They start sharing it. Verse 17, when they had seen him, Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They were amazed. These guys are the first evangelists ever. That word, this is where we get that word for evangelism, which means to bring good news. When the angel says, I bring you good news, the Greek word, the noun, is euangelion. And there's a verb, euangelizo, which we just transliterated from Greek into English, which means evangelism. It's actually not even an English word. It's a transliteration. And that word, I bring you good news, that's also where we get the word gospel. 
That's why in your Bible, the New Testament starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're called the Gospels. People will say, well, you read the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Matthew. Because those are the four accounts of the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus. This is the good news to the world of Jesus. Gospel, the good news. I bring you good news, announced to the world. That's where evangelism starts. And of all people, the shepherds are the first evangelists. They just can't help. They're just telling everybody. They're like, you got to hear this story, man. You're not going to believe this, but you should. This is incredible. There we were. We're sitting out in the field, telling stories like we always do, sipping a little moonshine. For a second, we thought that's why we saw an angel, but it actually was an angel. And he told us not to be afraid, even though heaven was partying on our fields. And he said he had good news for us, that the, the Savior, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the Lord is here. And he told us some clues, and we went and found him and met him and his parents. They can't help but tell everybody. The first evangelist. For a lot of us that maybe grew up in church or been a part of church, evangelism is kind of like a, somebody just put a weight on your shoulders. Where you hear that and you're like, I know I don't share my faith enough. You don't have to tell me. I don't invite people to church. I get it. I never share my faith. I'm probably not even saved. Just leave me alone, right? Let me remind you, you are not saved by your good works. When you get to heaven, there's not gonna be somebody going, and how many people did you share your faith with? Let's see if it's enough to meet quota. The only reason you're getting in is because this baby came here to die for you. That's the only reason. It's not your resume, it's his. You are not saved by your good works, but you are saved for good works. As an outpouring of the faith that you have, the life, the news that you get to walk around with every single day. And they embody that. I've thought about in my life, like, times when I haven't shared my faith. When a door was open. Friends of mine that I haven't talked to about Jesus. Why is that? Sometimes I think we want to be respectful and not impose our beliefs on anybody else. I've had to question that. That's been more of an excuse in my life. Is it imposing to tell somebody the best news they could ever hear? I've wondered and worried sometimes, like, God, I hope that I don't sometimes not share you because I don't believe that this news is true for that person. And if that's true, I have to repent of that. Like, God, help me. But maybe at the deepest level, there's a lot of timidity in me at times to share Jesus with people because I don't believe this news is actually true for me. For me. Like those shepherds, like, it's for those good people that have it all figured out. Like, I'm a pastor, and I always still feel like an outsider. It's just, like, in my DNA. And maybe there's some good to that, but sometimes some bad to it. Because if I don't believe this news, then I'm not going to share it with somebody else. And I hope that this would be a time for us as a church when the weight of evangelism turns into a freedom and a joy that these shepherds have. They're like, I mean, we met the Savior. Us. There's nobody below them. They're going to tell everybody. They're not going to look down on anybody. There's nobody. They'd be like, I don't think this news is for you. They'd be like, oh, this is for everyone. It was for us first. We're the first guys they told. Billy Graham, a famous evangelist, he said, I am convinced the greatest act of love we can ever perform for people is to tell them about God's love for them in Christ. There was a Mercedes commercial years ago where they were highlighting kind of a crash test, the safety feature of this energy-absorbing body design that they had. And they'd patented it, and it was novel, and it was this incredible discovery and technology, and they patented it, but all the other car makers were stealing the technology. And they weren't doing anything about it. They weren't enforcing the patent. And in the commercial, they showcase this, and then they ask an engineer, they go, why aren't you enforcing the patent? Like, why are you letting everybody freely just take this? 
And the engineer said, because in life, some things are just too important not to share. That's what the shepherds recognize. That's why I love Christmas. That's why we practically challenge you. We put invite cards on seats, like invite somebody. Bring somebody to hear the news. The pressure's not even on you. Ryan's preaching on Christmas. Pressure's on him. <laughs> but ultimately, the pressure's on God, and he can handle it. You just need to get him in the room. Just tell him the story and watch God go to work. You get to bring people to hear the best news. You get to share the good news in your own life. You got friends, you got family members, you got coworkers. And my prayer would be you'd see an invitation or next year a conversation, a coffee, whatever, not as this obligation, but I get to, of all people, I get to go share the best news I ever could with this person, that the Savior has come for them. I'm gonna invite my next door neighbors whose house I almost burned down to Christmas. I told you guys that story a while back. We've, we're cool. They kind of, I'm kind of like a shepherd type guy to them. They're like, why don't you stay off our property? But we'll wave to you. It was an accident, by the way. I haven't said that at the other service. I probably should. I accidentally almost burned their house down. But I'm gonna invite them to Christmas. I don't know them all that well, but I know them well enough to know that they're human beings, which means they have brokenness and pain in their lives. I know that they need a savior and that they've got one and I want them to meet him. So I'm gonna invite them. And there's been times in my life, like, I've shared my faith with somebody, I've talked about Jesus and it hasn't gone the way I planned. Where they're kind of like, not for me. Like, I've had, thank you. Appreciate it, cool. And then I've shared my faith with people at times where I've watched the good news, not me, but the news and who Jesus is change somebody's life. And either way, I've never regretted sharing Jesus with anybody in my life. I've never regretted it. It says in this passage that people were put off when the shepherds told them about Jesus? No. No, it says that they were amazed. They were amazed by the story, amazed by these shepherds being the ones telling them, amazed by the fact that the Savior had come for them. Amazed. And I find in my life, I'm less and less timid to share Jesus with people, to invite them. I love inviting people to this church because I know they're gonna meet you. A bunch of imperfect people Shepherds, pursuing a perfect God together. Doing whatever we can with everything God gives us to reach people with this news. In the Red Rocks DNA with some guys who said, we wanna plant a church that we would invite our friends to. And you guys are my friends that I'm proud for people to meet. With your brokenness, your sin, your stories, and the victories and what God has done in your lives. And I want more people to come meet Jesus in this place. And they're gonna be amazed not by us, they're gonna be amazed by him. So who do you got to invite? Who in your life is God calling you? You're gonna think of somebody and you're like, not that person. <laughs> they do not wanna be in church, I promise you. And there's a whole lot of us in this room, I'm looking at some of you, I know some of you, that were that friend, I was that friend. I praise God every day that somebody was brave enough to come to me of all people and go, hey, I think you should come to church with me. There's people right now, we feel like, man, we're imposing. Man, there are souls that are yearning for their creator, for salvation, and we, we have this news, and we get to share it. So may we be a church of evangelists with freedom and with joy, where, like these shepherds, we just go tell everybody, because how could we not? It's amazing news. And they hear, they believe, they pursue, they share, and then they worship. They worship. Let's read the end of this passage. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. I picture the moment where Mary and Joseph, where the shepherds show up, and at first they're like, who are you guys? And why would God tell you of all people? Why are you here? They start talking, and the shepherds are like, how do you know about us? We're nobodies. And how do you know about our son? And the shepherds say, well, there we were, out in the field, and this angel appeared. And Mary would go, well, an angel appeared to me to tell me about my son. And Joseph would go, and an angel appeared to me and told me about my son. And it would be this amazing moment of confirmation for Mary and Joseph. Because they had to have doubts and questions along the journey, like, are we crazy? This is happening, like us of all people? And then these seemingly random shepherds who are not random at all, they show up and confirm the story. We know exactly who your son is. If you have any questions, an angel told us. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. That's who this baby is, and we've just come to meet him. We're just thrilled. It says, Mary treasured and pondered these things in her heart. Like, God, what are you doing? Who will he be? What will he do? The shepherds go back to their fields. It says they go back. And they go back, and their circumstances haven't changed, but they have changed. They're glorifying and praising God. They just found out that they're not outer courts people, that he's come for them. So they just worship. And there had to have been times years down the road where they started to feel broken, where they kind of were aware of, like, we are still, like, the lowest of the low, and people look down upon and they started to question themselves, and they'd have to remind each other, remember that night? You remember what that angel said to us. He came for us. And they just keep worshiping and worshiping and worshiping, which is such an important part of this. Sometimes I feel concerned for us as a church because a whole lot of us just exodus out right after the sermon and don't stay for the worship. I understand maybe you have a small bladder or you wanna beat traffic. I get that, whatever. If you walk out early, I'm not gonna like catch you at the door like, hey, where are you going? Get back in there and sing right now. <laughs> not gonna force worship on you, but man, we get the chance to worship the King of Kings to bring him the glory and praise that he's due for sending his son here for us. That's the most important time of your week. And you can worship in your car, you can worship everywhere, but there's nothing like worshiping with the family of God. And I need worship in my life because worship is the place where it brings me back to that humility. I get out of the busyness and distraction, kind of back out into the fields to remember just how broken I am and how badly I need a savior and that I have one. And I bring glory and praise to him. That's why I walk out of here. I'm ready to run through a wall again and go tell people about Jesus because I get to experience the goodness of our God in worship. And so they worship him. And I think about the shepherds and what their lives would have looked like from here. We don't hear about them again. I imagine maybe one of them lived a couple more decades and kept up with Jesus, like trying to track this story. Maybe stayed in those same fields but would go down to Bethlehem once in a while and be like, hey, has anybody heard anything about that baby? You remember the baby? Do I need to retell you guys the story? So we were out there one night, like, we've heard this story a million times. We know, you guys got to meet Jesus, we know. You were the first to hear. Trying to keep up with the story and then eventually, three decades later, going into Bethlehem and asking this person, hey, have you heard anything about that Jesus? And them going, well, actually, yeah. He's causing quite the fuss. Everybody's up in arms. Religious leaders are mad. People don't know what to do. He's teaching. He's doing miracles, hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. And they go, oh, yeah, that's kind of our crew. Don't know if you knew, but we were the first to know. <laughs> of course he is. That's who he's come for. We know that. 
Then a couple years into that, going back down and saying, hey, any updates on Jesus in his ministry? And that person saying, hey, uh, yeah, uh, but I'm not sure it's good news because he was arrested in Jerusalem and he's gonna be executed today. And I picture that shepherd like wondering, what? Like that can't be possible, going back to the fields and walking around with the sheep and like, but he's the Messiah, he's the Lord. Like I know what the angel said. I saw heaven here, like met that baby. There's, couldn't have done something wrong. He's not a criminal. Why would he be getting crucified? Doesn't make any sense. And maybe having a theological click, walking around with all these sheep, Scholars say that the sheep of the fields of Bethlehem, what these guys were raising, many of them were taken six miles up to Jerusalem as sacrificial lambs in the temple. And that shepherd looking at these sheep and realizing God took us, who were always around the sacrificial lambs, to meet the sacrificial lamb. He's the savior. His name is Jesus, Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. That's who he is. And we were the guys who were raising these sheep and always thinking this is for everybody else. The religious, the perfect, the elite, the powerful, the rich. But that angel said that the Savior had come for us. Do we have a God who would die for us? A God who would lay his life down, who is the sacrificial lamb? That's what John the Baptist says when he sees Jesus coming to baptize him. He goes, that's the lamb of God, the lamb. God took these men who knew those lambs to meet the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, and he's pondering Jesus bleeding out. Atonement, like the lambs paying for the sins of the people, even him. And then a few days later, wandering back down and going, so he died, like, so what happens now? And the person going, well, actually, I don't quite know how to tell you this, but I guess you of all people probably will get it because you met an angel. Uh, he's not dead, he was. They put him in a tomb, but he's not in that tomb anymore. It's empty. He's out and about, talking to people, playing pranks on his disciples, like he's back. And that shepherd praising God all the more than he ever has, realizing the best news, that his God came here to save him, laid his life down as the sacrificial lamb, shed his blood to cover over the sins of all of us, shepherds included and he rose from the grave. You could kill God once, but he won't stay dead. He gave you one shot, conquered death, and rose from the grave from a manger to a cross to an empty tomb. So they worship, worship all the more, and we worship our Savior, the Messiah, the Lord who has come to you.